you went back in time to 2018 and you told people there was going to be a pandemic that would shut stores, lock people inside, and crash economies everywhere, there's a big chance no one would have believed you. And if you told people this post-apocalyptic sounding period would also be a good time to start a business selling high-end watches, they would likely not believe that either. However, while many traditional high street retailers faltered, laying off staff and raking up debts, some new businesses thrived, capitalizing on the pandemic's once-in-a-lifetime impact on consumer tastes and buying habits to launch profitable new ventures. Welcome to Retail on Focus, the Retail Systems podcast. I'm Will McCurdy, content editor of Retail Systems, and today we're going to take a look at how to launch a profitable niche business in the middle of a pandemic. To discuss this topic, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by Tim Harrison, founder and director at Online Watch Boutique, Watch Pilot. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Tim. Thanks for having me on today. Cool. So just to kick things off with the first question. So you started Watch Pilot in uh, February 2020, just as the pandemic was starting to pick up a little steam in the Western world. Could you talk about some of the issues which has caused the business and how you dealt with them? And uh, did you ever feel like just quitting on the idea? Yeah, um, I mean, launching at the beginning of the pandemic in many ways really accelerated the growth of our business for many reasons. However, it obviously also came with some substantial challenges. Firstly, uh, ensuring a, a constant supply of stock was a, was a big issue for us. With some of our suppliers being overseas, shipping chimes during the pandemic uh, became longer due to staff shortages and uh, often medical supplies taking priority. To mitigate the risk of going out of stock due to shipping delays, we opted to order larger quantities of inventory. This, however, came with increased financial exposure and risk for ourselves. Uh, fortunately, during our prior days of selling on Amazon, we'd built up some trust with previous suppliers who were happy to uh, extend our credit terms, which enabled us to facilitate these larger orders. Um, and I think the second challenge really for us was, was good staff that we, we could rely on uh, being an e-commerce business. We, we didn't have the luxury of allowing all of our staff to work from home. Some of our staff were transitioned into Watchpilot from a previous business, and they, they really helped us out during the early stages of setting up the company. And I think, you know, overall, the biggest challenge for us as a business is uh, establishing a, a solid online footprint and, and establishing relationships with large brand partners. And this remains a, you know, an ongoing challenge, um, COVID and onwards. Yeah, so I've, I spoke to a lot of businesses over the past year about their supply chain issues. I mean, getting your supply chain right is never easy at the best of times, but the pandemic seems to have made it almost impossible. And it's quite impressive as, you know, a small business entrepreneur taking on that extra level of risk and what it seems like, like bulk buying this product in advance. I think, I mean, this is, this is the, uh, you know, one of the biggest challenges because inevitably you've got the, you know, you've got the 80-20 rule, you might have an inventory of a thousand products, but probably 200 of them are, you know, your top selling products. And when you're heavily reliant on paid traffic uh, initially, if you're driving traffic to your store and you're out of stock, your cost per sale, cost per acquisition will, will just keep rising. Yeah, exactly. So moving on, I think most of our listeners should be aware of the downsides that the pandemic posed for retailers. But could you also talk about some of the opportunities which you created? 
Sure. Yeah, I mean, the largest opportunity for us was the, the substantial rise in search traffic for, you know, fashion and luxury watches. Um, customers uh, who would normally shop in the high street suddenly have no choice but to, uh, to shop online. I think, you know, on a macro level, the pandemic is widely acknowledged to have really accelerated digital trends. I've read some studies reporting by, you know, seven years onwards. Specifically for our business, customers who would, you know, those customers who would normally purchase something quite personal, such as a watch in a high street jewelers, are now feeling comfortable to make a similar purchase online in the knowledge that if the product is not as expected, it's incredibly easy to return, if not easier than having to return to the high street to actually refund the purchase. As a business, what type of approach do you uh, take to managing the returns process? Is there a big focus on uh, making it as pain-free as possible? 100%. I mean, I think if, uh, if you make it difficult for a customer to return something, that customer will never shop with you again. I wouldn't say we're perfect, but we're looking to streamline that, that returns process as much as possible. Free returns, multiple couriers in which to send an item back to us if they don't like it, and a return, if not, is processed probably 95% on the same day, if not the second day. Yeah, because from the research I've been reading, um, online returns have just become such a massive, massive distinguishing factor for retailers over the pandemic because there wasn't really any other option for almost half the year. So it's, it's something that's really separating the men from the boys at the moment. Definitely. I mean, if you, you know, just you know, speaking from a personal experience, if you shop with some of the largest retailers now, they, you know, the couriers will actually come to your house and, and collect the item directly from your doorstep. Um, we're not there yet, but it's something we, you know, we would aspire to. No, and it's a good thing to aspire to, um, keeping whatever is possible to keep of that, that human touch. Yeah. So... How do you feel that the pandemic trains consumer tastes and demands? And what newly formed consumer appetites might retailers be missing out on? Well, I think with more customers purchasing online than ever before, e-commerce is, is being forced to become more user-friendly, uh, faster and, and ultimately you know, more efficient. As, we are, you know, as we're progressively coming out of this pandemic and into the summer, I think we've seen a positive uplift in sales um, as consumers are looking to refresh their you know, fashion apparel accessories. I think following this principle, other industries which, which may well have done well during the pandemic, such as uh, you know, products which improve home life, could see a downturn as consumers which have already bought these products may seek to, to reprioritize their spend. Yeah, exactly, because so much has been made of retailers adapting to the demands of the pandemic but what they'll actually need to do is they'll need to adapt post-pandemic and adapt to whatever the new normal is and the retailers who are going to be successful at doing this might be very different than the retailers who are successful at adapting to the pandemic it's it's like an entirely different game almost during march april last year when people were fresh with furlough money we saw large sales spikes but i think you know certainly the beginning of this year when there was still a lot of uncertainty about people were not really going out. People had no reason to shop for fashion, fashion accessories. Um, so we did see a drop in sales during that period. But now, since we've come out of the pandemic, people have got used to the shops being open again. People are looking to refresh their wardrobes and, you know, sales are going upwards again. So just for people outside the industry, could you talk a little about what makes a watch world unique? and how it differs as an industry to, to say, other parts of retail and e-commerce? Yeah, sure. Uh, I think the watch industry is, is ultimately very brand-driven. In order for us as a retailer to sell branded products, we must long-term work via official authorization agreements. 
typically we cannot be seen to be uh, much of a discount retailer, but instead be selling at recommended retail prices or, or very close to them. And um, with this principle in mind, for us to compete in a marketplace dominated by national known jewelers, it, it's really essential that we build consumer trust so as to reduce consumer sensitivity to price being the sole driver of a purchase. Um, the watch industry, we feel to be relatively mature online um, with many high street retailers relying solely on their brick and mortar presence for sales without having established a major online presence. So do you think that it's harder to develop trust as at this stage, at least a pure play uh, online retailer? Do you think you, you were maybe at a little bit of a disadvantage in, in the trust game? I think so, yes, I think definitely. When, when you're competing against national, um, you know, jewelers with 50, 60 stores up and down the country, why would they buy from you over buying from, from one of these stores um, when ultimately price, you know, we're fairly fixed on price when we're buying from the brands. So we have to look at, you know, what are the reasons that a customer is going to choose to buy from us over, over them. Yeah, it just um, it seems it seems like a big challenge distinguishing yourself, and just when it comes to the question of authenticity, I mean nobody makes fake socks, nobody makes fake hats. Well, they do make fake hats, but it's just watches are something where you know quality and authenticity, to at least to me, seems seems really all important. And I think this is where the the importance of the shop comes in. If you've got a physical presence, customers just trust you that bit more. There's there's less of a question mark. Over, over what you're selling, you know, and it's and it's going to be the, the time in the market, really. You know, we're looking very much also at our, our social media presence. Social media is a, going to be huge for us um, and something we're looking to really maximise to build trust. So moving on to a, a bit more of a question of implementation, is there any particular technology or any particular approach to technology which you found useful when uh, launching WatchPilot? Sure. Yeah, I mean, we're working with a very good e-commerce platform, which is, is proving very scalable. We've also using, in conjunction with that e-commerce platform, several plugins for various requirements, such as email marketing, um, forecasting of our inventory demand, accounting, and for product feeds into Google and Facebook. If you don't mind me asking, did you have any issues in terms of scalability, or were you easily able to keep your IT in sync with the rest of the business as you were growing, presumably quite rapidly? I think you know, from an IT point of view, it's been fairly straightforward with the size of company which we are, which is 12 people now. Uh, I would say challenges we possibly have had are, you know, from a development point of view, we're not yet big enough that we have an in-house development team, but you know, finding good freelance developers who can assist us at front-end, back-end developers is an ongoing challenge. Yeah, it's, it's, always, it's always a struggle finding developer talent. So moving on, word on the grapevine is that Watchpilot is eyeing a launch of a physical brick and mortar outlet. What characteristics can a physical location provide that online retail simply cannot? I think with, with much of our online competition having a, a physical brick and mortar presence, as I mentioned earlier, um, as a new business, it's really essential that we establish trust with our customer base. So the brick and mortar shop is the obvious next step for us. And it's also very much required from a, from a brand perspective historically um, in order to open new retailer accounts. A lot of brands just simply won't open an account if you don't have brick and mortar. And this is even despite COVID. Yeah, I mean, that does seem very slightly 
behind the times in my opinion but i suppose you know the world is always going to train slowly in some respects i think you know if you're a if you're a very large online e-commerce um multinational then you can you can get away with it but as an independent it's very difficult so um just in terms of location and it's okay if you're not allowed to disclose this but why london why do you want to launch in london and not say in the north of england or the midlands or the southeast um specifically london well i'm based in wimbledon myself um and wimbledon as an area has a lot number one it doesn't have a uh, a major jewelers i a multinational jeweler sorry a national jeweler should i say um it's full of a lot of independent shops independent businesses um and ultimately it's a fairly affluent area so when we're looking to attract um Swiss level or Swiss brands um, in the future, it's a good location to be in, I think. Exactly. I mean, it's a very vibrant area. So just as a podcast draws to a close, as a retailer, what potential opportunities do you see in the future? Now we're a little bit closer to unlocking. The obvious opportunity, you know, remains the planning of our retail store, which uh, is very much dependent on the UK continuing to successfully unlock from an online digital perspective, we, we seek to continue growing our online presence, expanding our range of brand partners within fashion and Swiss watches, and eventually into the jewellery sector. And I think although it would appear that e-commerce is, is everywhere you know, at this day and age, there is still a large customer demographic who are not as familiar with online shopping as you might expect. Our long-term goal is to make sure that online shopping is as easy as possible with all the add-ons, free shipping, simple returns and management, and and ultimately bringing that in-store experience as close as possible online, for which we have a number of exciting ideas um, to be rolled out in the coming future. Well, I look forward to seeing those ideas play out in reality. And yeah, that's an excellent point there, because people people talk about the uh, e-commerce like it has already arrived, but actually there's... There's still a huge amount of growth um, in the e-commerce market. There's still lots of people that prefer physical retail, particularly in the older generations. It's not anywhere near close to being a um, completely solved problem. I mean, to, you know, to give you some idea, some of the national jewelers, when you're looking to buy a watch for you know, several thousand pounds, they've actually got virtual assistants on, on the websites now who are able to give you a demonstration of the watch that you're looking to buy. This is the kind of thing that you know, we'll look to do in the future. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, because I, I'm unlikely to be able to afford a Swiss watch anytime soon. But if I was, I feel like that personal touch would be something that would be vitally important to me. And anything that technology can do to help provide that is going to be something that's going to be really valuable to me as a consumer. So um, just to close things off, if our listeners want to learn more about Watchpilot, where can we send them? either on our website, uh, which is watchpilot.co.uk, or alternatively, you can follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel where you'll find our latest watch reviews and uh, instructional how-to videos. Thanks for coming on the podcast. You know, I appreciate anyone who's willing to spend their time to come and talk to us. So uh, enjoy the rest of the day. Pleasure. Thanks for your time, William.